What's up guys, this is all about the game with Satha and today we have the star herself, Namita Bal. She's a former national tennis champion and the current junior Fed Cup coach of India. She lives and breathes tennis, so let's take some valuable lessons from her career and her successful transition to a tennis coach. Hey Namita, how's it going? Hey, all good, how are you? Good, good. So, what's going on? How's the lockdown treating you? Ah, uh, it's been fine. I've adapted. Mm-hmm. Got um, busy with online training and work at home. My dog keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. And uh, your fitness routine? Ah, uh, so I do my morning yoga, mm-hmm. which I've started after two years. So I'm actually happy that I was able to. Mm-hmm. And in the evening, I have a program which my coach has given me, so I follow that. Right. Great. So uh, let's get started. Tell us about your story. How do you get started with tennis? And uh, um. So my entry into tennis was inevitable. My father's a coach, and he was a very good player himself. Right. So it's in my blood. Also, when I was a kid, uh, I had to copy everything my elder sister did. She's two years older, and from the way she dressed and talked, and I, I went to school because Nandita went to school, mm-hmm. and I had to do everything she did. I thought we'd be in the same class. <laughs> so, um, so when she started playing tennis, uh, it was very natural for me to also want to go to the courts. Right. And initially, I'd just go and play in the sand. That's what I enjoyed, just being around my sister playing in the sand. And then when I actually started playing at six or seven, um, I didn't enjoy it much because I used to be on a court with four other guys, okay. and they bullied me, big time. <laughs> and when I complained to my father, he said, "I'm not your father here. I'm your coach. So fight your own battles." Yeah. And I never fought my own battles. I just got bullied. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that wasn't very fun for me. Mm-hmm. But I think when I was eight, I played my first tournament, and I made the finals. Wow! And I got my butt kicked in the finals. But since then, I've um, I've never looked back. I've known since that uh, that that week that I want to spend the rest of my days on a tennis court, mm-hmm. and in whatever capacity. At the time, of course, I thought as a player, and then things changed later. Right. But that's that's initially how it started for me. So, how were you during the junior days? Were you playing tennis and studying as well, or did you like you know keep studies on hold? How do you go? About- Not at all. My parents, my parents were uh, very very clear that if I wanted to play, I had to study. I had to do my school, and my school um, initially I wouldn't say they were supportive because they were very. Um, they were very academics oriented right. uh, so as long as i was doing well in my studies they allowed me to play mm-hmm. and i managed i managed well because um, my goal was very clear i knew i wanted to play and it had been made clear to me that if i wanted to play i had to do well in my studies right. so i used to finish all my homework in school in my lunch break i used to eat quickly and finish my homework so i would um, i could spend more time at the courts in the evening and i could do my tennis and fitness and i didn't have to worry about going home to you know do my school work mm-hmm. or anything like that right. so i managed i was fine and uh, i've always been very competitive so 
I wanted to do well as as well in um, in studies right. too. It wasn't like uh, I don't care how how much I score. Or I, that's maybe to do with my um, with my parents, with my school, whatever it is. But I've always um, been competitive, and I've always wanted to do well in whatever I did. Right. So I I managed well. I managed well. So uh, you see a lot of kids these days. You know them. Um, you know keeping their junior you know the school on hold the studies on hold to pursue uh, you know tennis yeah. from the junior age itself yeah. you think that's uh, that's a little too risky that being in india that is it is yeah yeah so i don't want to say being in india because um, i think it's time i mean i don't like to follow all these uh, societal conditions right. so i don't want to say just because we live in this society we should be going to school Right. Uh, I think we sh- these kids should be going to school because it it it's helpful, mm-hmm. whether you admit it or not. It's uh, having an education, especially when you travel, is extremely useful. Having an education gives you a subject other than tennis right. gives you a lot of confidence off court, mm-hmm. which also shows on court. You know, just um, being able to stand in the crowd and not feeling shy, knowing what to say when. Right. be able to talk to people mm-hmm. um it's the confidence in you which translates on court so i think education has my education had um, a very big part to play in that confidence in in the way i speak in the way i'm um even doing this um call with you right and speaking confidently i think my education has played a huge role in that right. so i don't think it's um uh you're missing out on a huge plus you know socializing which is so important because otherwise when you travel you're only it's it's a, it's um uh, you're only surrounded by people like you there's no growth in uh, in pers- your perspective or um you know you're not you're not exposed to people who think differently right which is very very important to mold yourself to mm-hmm. figure out what you are right So uh let's get back to your tennis journey. So what do you love about the yes. game? Do you like the training or do you like competing you know playing tournaments more the travel everything? What did you Um and yeah. So for me I loved all the things you mentioned. I love training. I love working my ass off all day mm-hmm. and uh, the sleep you get at the end of the day, you know, when you train like that or when you win a long match or um or even i i even enjoyed in hindsight the losses or you know you you should feel everything there is to feel and you should feel the pain of loss you should feel the the joy of winning a match and to a very large extent the relief right. and um you should feel all of that but for me um that's not my biggest reason to be in this sport for me it's my biggest reason is um that it's it's my first home home isn't my first home mm-hmm. that the tennis court is my first home it's where i'm most at peace it's where i'm meditative there's no space for any other thoughts i'm totally uh, immersed in what i'm doing and that's um, there's a very very strong feeling of this is where i'm meant to be right and that's what i love about this sport wonderful that's why i'm in this sport wonderful So uh, tell us about some of your uh, victories some of your titles Um so I was um I 
eventually became more of a doubles player. But I'll I'll actually talk about that because I think um, it'll be useful for young players. Hi, to... how, how, uh, did you like realize that you want to? I mean, when did you take that call, and how do you realize it's better to you know focus on doubles? When did I take that call? When I started winning more in doubles, but and not as much in singles. Right. But what I really want to talk about is the fact that I actually didn't win a doubles match till I was fourteen years old. Okay. And once I once I did start winning, it didn't stop. And the reason for that is, um, so my game is very much a doubles game, which I've known since I was very young. I like doing different things. I love coming into the net, which um, which didn't work for me when I was young because uh, one, I hadn't matured. I didn't. I wasn't very good with my shot selection because there were so many ideas in my mind that I didn't know what to play when. Till I played many more matches and figured it out. Um, also, because um, we were all small at that age, at twelve and thirteen, um, a lot of players just kept a lot of balls in the court, whether it was singles and doubles, and won the match. I wasn't that kind of a player, but I, I stuck to it because I listened. For a change, to my father, who knows better, right. and I stuck to the volleying. Whether I missed, whether I lost matches, I stuck to it. Right. So when it all came together, when I got that maturity, when I figured out what to play, when, when to poach, uh, what kind of shots to poach on, what kind of shots to play when I poach, uh, when that sort of um, came together, I didn't look back. I didn't. Um, I didn't lose. Much after that, in doubles, there were of course excruciating losses, yeah. but I did reasonably well. And the reason I mention this is because there's a lot of players, especially today, who give a lot of importance to to winning much earlier than they need to start doing that, and they find a way to win, which is which is a great quality, you know, to be in that pressure situation and to find a way, you know. Whatever happens, I'm going to keep one extra ball in the court and find a way to win this match, which is extremely essential um, in the mental makeup of a champion. Right. But there needs to be a balance of um, somewhere there needs to be a long-term goal of where, which is where a coach comes into the picture to help them get that long-term goal and give them an idea of what their game should look like. And there needs to be a balance of um, I need to do this, which will help me ten years down the road. But I also need to do this, which will help me win today. Right. And in the process, if you lose a few matches at that age, it's okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's something that really, really helped me. Um, I actually won quite a few singles matches also till about under sixteen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, on the national circuit and the Asian circuit, the Asian juniors and stuff. I was in the the Asian team. So we went. That that was a fun year because we went to Australia for the Masters, and we got to watch the Australian Open. So that was fun. And um, after after about sixteen, um, when a lot of players got bigger, because of course they went through that growth spurt which eluded me. <laughs> oh, jokes. <laughs> That's when things sort of changed for me in singles, not so much in doubles because I still had my mind, I still had my tactics, and which only got better. Mm -hmm. But in singles, that sort of changed things for me because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't out hit players, and they could out hit me. Right. So regardless of the ideas I had or the um, 
you know, the plan I had, the tactics I had, I couldn't execute it as well in singles as I could in doubles. So that's, that's where um, I sort of um, made the switch to doubles after the ITF, in the ITF juniors and a little later. Um, but you still ended I won, uh, yeah. Pretty well. yeah, you yeah. ended up doing pretty well. Like I remember you reaching the, I guess, I'm not sure if you won the title or you reached the finals in the Cal Nationals. Oh, I made, uh, yeah, that was the finals. Yeah, I made the finals. Right. That was actually one of my last um, few tournaments, the, the Nationals, right? The grass court, yeah. sorry. That was uh, one of my last few tournaments because that's where, um, we will speak about that maybe later. I don't want to get into the injury right now. Right. But um, yeah, singles I also, that was again because it was a grass court. Um, that's my favorite surface. You know, that was conducive to my kind of, my game style. Coming into the net, using a lot of slicing, chip and charge, drop shots. Um, I think that's why I did better on grass and clay and not so much on hard. Yeah. Which was unfortunate because a lot of the Asian circuit is on hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so uh, yeah. Going back to the point you had mentioned <coughs> about being uh, able to balance, you know, winning matches, you know, pulling off matches and working on your game. How do yeah. you know, so I'll give, give you a scenario where, so this is a situation where the player doesn't have any other factors coming into play like, you know, studies and their parents' uh, financial uh, situation. Mm. Right? So, suppose there's mm. someone with limited financial resources. Obviously, everyone has limited financial resources. But, you know, they know that they can only play like 10 tournaments a year compared to someone who can probably afford to play 20 tournaments a year. How, they, how then do they, you know, balance it? And then what do they, what should they focus on? Okay. So, what would be the difference between a player who can play 10 matches and a player who can play 20 matches? Right. One, match experience. Right. And two, your ranking. Right. So, if you want to improve your ranking, the only way to do that with 10 tournaments is to win more in those 10 tournaments. Um, your focus, focusing on the result is not going to help you as much as focusing on the performance will. Mm-hmm. So, we'll speak about the other point. Um, experience. Right. Obviously, it's very difficult to actually replicate the pressure you feel in a match right. um, in practice. But the best you can do with that situation is play more, um, get more match practice, fix up with players outside of your academy, mm-hmm. fix up with players within your academy, whether it's um, lower ranked, higher ranked, better, not as good. You know, so you get, you get a feel of playing against different pressures, right? There are different pressures against, um, against a better player. You're not going to feel so much pressure initially. But if you do get into a position of winning, are you going to have the self-belief to pull through that one. Right. When you're playing against a lower ranked player, uh, there's a different pressure. People are expecting you to win. You're expecting yourself to win. Are you going to be able to do what you need to do under that pressure? If against somebody equal, um, it's about who's better on that day, which it is with most matches really. Right. Uh, what you can also do is include pressure situations and simple drills that you do. Uh, whether it's the serve, you know, you serve, you serve with another player. Right. Um, if you get the servant, 15 love. If they get their servant, 15 all. So you include pressure situations like that because what you're doing is getting used to um, making decisions under pressure. Right. 
and that is what basically match experience comes down to the kind of decision the kind of decisions you make in a match situation which is a pressure situation right so that can probably you know help offset the not being able to travel those extra 10 tournaments you know be putting yourself in as much uh, tournament situation or pressure situations as yeah possible. yeah yeah and not just putting yourself in that situation but making the most of it so um when we speak about losing and we speak about okay let's talk about how sport everyone says sport builds character right let your kids play a sport it builds character i feel that it only builds character if you allow it to mm-hmm. you see so many players who who play and a sport like tennis where losing is so much more common than winning there is still this whole stigma around losses mm-hmm. and um when there is that stigma attached to it you lose the lesson right instead of looking at a loss as um as failure if you can look at it as something to learn from and it's so important to lose especially when you're young otherwise how do you know where to improve how do you know where to start working you know so it's so important to get a feel of those losses and to train your mind from a young age mm-hmm. to not think of a loss as failure to think of it as work um or as an area of improvement as um ways to get better in the next match mm-hmm. and um so even when you come to those practice situations learn from them don't just put yourself in the situation because unless you learn you're going to keep facing that same situation again and again and you're not going to know how to get out of it which is why you see a lot of players um opting out of sport at the age of 16 17 mm-hmm. when other distractions come into play there's you know there's school work there's parents there's expectations and because they haven't really learned from their losses yeah. they haven't really learned how to deal with them mm-hmm. so i think um, it's not just about putting yourself in that situation but also learning from it so and uh, picking bet yeah 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 you go on you are saying something completely no also i think uh, picking the right tournaments if you can play just 10 tournaments pick the right ones which a coach can help you do with their experience right um tell us about like uh, when you were during your juniors uh, did you yeah. have a lot with other players or were you you know or did you always keep yourself and how that plays a factor in influencing you and your game um tournaments so i had i had my three or four friends that right. i was constantly around and um, there was a lot of giggling and laughing and chatting that happened right uh, but i would advise my players differently because now i realize the kind of energy it takes right to you know even even one and you never realize how draining it is till you're actually silent mm-hmm. so i think i've uh, changed a lot over the years when it comes to that and i wouldn't advise normally when i travel with my players i make sure there is you know at least before their matches uh, or till they're done with their recovery Right. they they are with me and we're um, it's still good energy but it's not draining right and so also, i would yeah that's what yeah you also see like a lot of these players in the juniors them talking about you know another player's game who they beat and you know how good a specific shot of theirs is like the forehand's like extremely strong or 
something like that and uh, yeah. that can also have you know an impact on the player right uh so i think even without uh, players talking about it the first day you go for a tournament you're watching other players practice right. and you're thinking to yourself oh my god look at her four and oh wow this girl serving so well right. and you're not realizing that you're just as good as in practice and also that it's completely pointless to be thinking about these things because they're not going to they're not going to help you play better right so we'll we'll talk about i think focus and concentration in another like this this comes under distraction right yeah. so i'd like to make that a separate uh yeah. topic in itself because that'll be really really useful for a lot of young players great but yeah so even um even without hearing it i think with everybody goes through that uh, phase so whether you're seeing it or whether you're hearing it uh, you can't control people you can't stop them from talking you can't stop them from playing you can't shut your eyes and walk into a venue so you have to find ways to deal with it mm-hmm. right all right yeah. so um i guess it's time to get to the question that you've been dreading all along dreading all along <laughs> which one is that the injury ah the injury yeah. so that was um after about 4 or 5 years of dealing with it i think i finally came to the turning point in my life mm-hmm. uh so it's a, it was a spine injury uh i had scoliosis since i was born which got much worse with tennis mm-hmm. um there were a lot of imbalances maybe because of faulty training in my younger days where you know i didn't know better my trainers didn't know better right. and uh by the time we figured out and um, i started training with um, an ex gymnast ajinkya keskar right. who helped me as much physically as he did mentally through that phase Uh, but by the time i started training with him it got a little it was a little too late mm-hmm. and um, it was a lot of it was about 4 or 5 years of constant pain and um, a whole process of going to a tournament back gives way going through my rest my rehab my strengthening mm-hmm. practice then getting back one or two tournaments the same thing happens going through the same thing again right. so um, tournaments were uh i played much fewer tournaments they were more spaced out and um it was constant physical pain which also led to i mean i wasn't in the best mental state obviously because i wasn't i wasn't happy i wasn't really fully doing what i wanted to do and it was just it was just constant physical pain also and it was just pushing through it day after day simply because i didn't believe i could be happy doing anything other than playing pro Mm-hmm. and eventually it came to the point where um i had to make that choice between pushing more now mm-hmm. and not doing any form of exercise ever again right so i mean i pushing more now and not doing anything ever again or just stopping now and then maybe doing something else right so and the thing is i kept pushing also because of one or two tournaments that i did play i was still doing well right. it was just that i was in pain but i was still doing well and especially doubles mm-hmm. uh the last tournament i played i actually served underarm so that's kind of when i said uh, yeah and the whole tournament i considered my singles and i didn't want to let my doubles partner down 
because it was a tournament we could have really won very easily even with an underarm serve and uh, i think it was a uh, 2 lakh in chandigarh or something mm-hmm. and so i played the whole tournament with an underarm serve and we didn't win as maybe easily as we could have but we did win and yeah. that's the note i wanted to end on also so that's sort of where i made the switch mm-hmm. um when i did make the switch i wasn't happy about it obviously it was um, it was a complete identity crisis for me because yeah. all i'd been since i was 8 was a tennis player you yeah. know and at the time i was like who am i if not this who am i and what what else do i want to do i didn't want to get into coaching because i didn't want to be connected to the sport if i wasn't playing pro of course yeah uh i was um, a very close friend of the family who is a very good strength coach also ninath patha mm-hmm. he got me out of the house he said stop moping and come uh, work at the fitness center work with the little kids or work with the other players so that's what i started first before i started coaching Mm-hmm. and uh eventually i realized that i did have that choice of not moping yeah. so i started going to the courts again because they just called out to me and i started hitting with the younger players i didn't um, i didn't start coaching i just started hitting mm-hmm. and because there were a few players who wanted um, you know who called and asked if i could hit now and stuff So I started doing that, and the coaching part actually came very naturally. Even as I was hitting, I could—I've um, always been a good observer, mm-hmm. so I could see exactly what they needed to do. And initially, it was more tactical than technical because I was thinking from the point of view as, of a player. Okay. But um, eventually, I figured I was also good at the tact—the uh, technical bit. So that's when I fully got into coaching. Mm-hmm. and once i let go of that notion that i know what what's best for me i know what makes me happiest once i let go of that i realized that i'm actually um 100 times happier and probably a million times better at coaching than i ever was at playing mm-hmm. okay. and um, yeah so that's another thing i love for people to take away to not be uh closed off mm-hmm. to the idea that other things can also make you happy it's not just It's it's wonderful that you're doing what you love doing, but there are other things that you can love. There are other things that can make you happy. Don't close off your mind to it. Right. Hey guys, this podcast is powered by Sports Culture. Sports Culture aims to create unique experiences and memories through sport by conceptualizing and organizing the best sports events in town. They manage events for grassroots tournaments to corporate sports events. Be sure to connect with them for all your sports event requirements. Their website is sportsculture.com with a Z and a K. Further details on the show notes. Yeah. So, coaching or competing? What did you choose right now? Competing any day or things have changed? So, no, things have changed, but not fully because I'll always be a competitor. Even as a coach, I'm a competitor. Okay, so, so it's not obviously you do want your kids to do better than uh, other coaches. So how do you compete as a coach? I so um, but I would still pick coaching because I'm doing what I'm meant to do now. I feel that in my bones. I know it. Right. But um, as a coach, if I'm asked to share whatever little knowledge I have, if it would make a, another coach better, if it can help um, other players. i would 100% choose to do that and that is one of my goals to 
make whatever knowledge we have available to as many coaches as possible so that as many players as possible can benefit from that that's the goal right as a coach the goal is to improve the lives of as many players as you can but having said that while the other coaches are learning i will also be updating my knowledge i always want to be the best coach i can be apart from my goals for my players i have goals for myself right and i want to be the best mm-hmm. um i also want my players to be the best and um, you know it's funny because sometimes so i've worked with these teams and whether it's the state teams or the the national team i've worked with these teams and sometimes they play my play my players and um, i've always been the kind of coach i don't believe that uh, it ends on court the bond doesn't end on court especially in the you know the teenage group which is where my expertise is in this moment at least um it's a 24/7 job you know i am available to my players whenever they need to talk to me and about anything they want to talk to me about there's um you have to live by example you can't especially with that age just preaching isn't going to cut it you have to um you have to spend time with them you have to make them realize that you walk your talk and that's when they start to emulate those habits that's when they start to um grow personally and professionally and um that's where i feel uh players need to also open up with their coaches of course there are different personalities and everything but that's when it works best so so um as I, a coach yeah yeah one point so as a coach for me to be coaching uh, different players that i've worked with and when they play matches against each other i it's always um, it tears at my heart i don't know I, I, that's not something i've quite uh, come to terms with yet but i will i think i do what's best in the moment who i'm coaching in that moment um i have to stick to that and luckily it's not affected my relationship with any of the players so far right but you 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 have to want what's best for your player right of course so um i want to talk a bit about um, personalities the players personality yeah. okay yeah. so do you look at that i mean should players look at that from a player's perspective since you're in a you're in a unique position where you're a coach and you've been a player sir uh yeah players look at the coach's personality and should the coaches look at the players personality and then decide if they should coach them or not um it's not about should they coach them or not if a player comes to you and they're trusting you coach everybody you don't you don't pick and choose who you coach uh i feel as a player you should decide depending on who i mean i'm not saying look at the personality of the coach but who are you most comfortable with that's the most important thing because um as a lot of coaches in this country tend to forget that the player is the most important part of the team it's right. not the coach it's not the parents it's nobody it is the player and the rest of us revolve around the player right. and there's a lot of ulterior motives there's a lot of everybody's motivation is different right. it fair enough you're in it for the money fair enough but the player's goal is most important not your goal mm-hmm. and so it's for the player to decide who the player is most comfortable working with there are different coaches with different coaches coaching styles different ways of communicating so it, the player should um, you know gauge what 
works best for her or him uh, as for the coach according to the personality of the player you will change your communicating style okay so it's and that, and that's what i um, that's what i mean by it doesn't end on court i like to know and i'm happy that my players are open with me about what goes on at home what goes on in their personal lives because that that is such an important part of how you plan your next day how you plan your uh, your training the way you speak to them there might be a player who comes from a home with where um, they're constantly being instructed the last thing the player wants is to come on court and have you hurling a hundred instructions at them there might be a player who's um who doesn't get enough attention at home they may come on court and create a ruckus just to get that kind of attention just to get that appreciation maybe they're not being appreciated enough at home and then they want to do things they want your attention they want you to say good stuff about them they want that encouragement so it that that really is the job of a coach to be able to figure out what what the player needs and what the player wants and communicate accordingly the player decides for himself or herself the yeah. coach adapts to what the player needs that's what i feel okay so um emotional bond so i'll give you another situation where yeah put your heart and soul into the player and one loss two losses down the line he just decides to uh you know shift or change yeah. one thing the next player you get so i'm assuming this happens to a lot of the top lot of these lot of experienced coaches where you know yeah. they put in so much effort and then um they realize that they're just going to leave or they're just going to stop tennis anyway does the passion or the emotional bond that they have with new players who join the academy uh, still remain do they still have that same amount of you know um, care right. and, or does it always go down and then do coaches end up you know becoming much more financial minded or whatever so i'm not going to speak from other coaches perspectives because um, i don't know what their lives are like yeah. but in my opinion um if i am coaching somebody or whatever i am doing i am going to put heart and soul into it mm-hmm. i can't be half hearted about anything yeah. what the player does is not in my control i can only do my best i won't be happy i won't sleep well at night if i don't put in my 100% mm-hmm. and it's as simple as that if the player decides to leave i know that it's not something to do with me i know that it's not um, i know that it's it just didn't work out maybe it's not anything to do with me mm-hmm. uh so i don't need to take it personally things didn't work out with us and that is okay i couldn't help the player the way he or she needed to be helped and that is okay because it's not like i didn't try um but it does hurt when right? it comes to the next player yeah of course so that's what i'm getting to it is going to hurt it's going to hurt like hell because you've put in so much of course it's going to hurt uh at the same time you can't not do your best to avoid hurt mm-hmm. like i said it's 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 so important to feel everything there is to feel what kind of a life are you living if you're only how do you appreciate joy without feeling right. pain right right and um, it's it's all these tags that we attach to emotions this is good and this is bad right. it's not they're just emotions 
you feel hurt you feel it you breathe through it and you know that that will end you know that you will stop feeling bad it doesn't mean and it also doesn't mean that you will never feel bad again you are going to accept it right. you are going to die you are going to get i mean i believe in rebirth so you are going to be born again mm-hmm. you are going to be hurt you are going to be happy so why live avoiding these feelings or being worried that you might feel hurt you what helps you sleep tonight what can you do in this moment to be yourself to be your authentic self i'm going to give my 100% in coaching i am going to make an emotional create an emotional bond with that player because that is my way of coaching and it's as simple as that if anything else that comes i will deal with it because i made a conscious choice of putting my heart and soul into this and nothing else is in my control only this is all right tell us about um, parents involvement to what extent should they be involved or do you want them to be involved should they not be involved 100% part? parents should 100% be involved should you be accountable for as parents their results for your players results should you be accountable do you feel you should be 100% i should be accountable i should be accountable absolutely to what extent is between the player and me so one thing um i absolutely believe in is that a coach is responsible for the player the parent should be involved in the player's career and the player has a bond with his or her parents the player has a bond with his or her coach um communication between the parent and the coach is also absolutely necessary the parents should be involved as parents not as a coach so that's why communication is necessary you're all part of the player's team whether you're the the uh, at a lower level it's your parents and your coach at a higher level there's also your physio your mental tra- or even at a lower level your mental trainer at a higher level there's your nutritionist there's your physio there's you know a whole bunch of people uh everyone has their own role in this team conflict happens when somebody tries to take over another person's role so if a parent tries to coach the kid i'm not going to be okay with that and i'm going to make that perfectly clear very nicely but i am going to make it clear that that is not your job that is my job and um i actually had the situation in um in a team event so we were playing in kazakhstan and there was this girl in my team whose father was overly involved in the coaching part uh kids need their parents it's as simple as that i would not interfere in that relationship the coach uh, the parent um it, it was the father and he tried to um he was talking to his player about what she should have done on court he was talking to the other players about what they should have done on court now the last thing you want is your uh, so in a team event the captain is allowed to sit on court and coach and the last thing you want is your players to be second guessing you based on what somebody who knows nothing about the sport has said so i made it perfectly clear to the man to not get involved in that aspect and i said it very nicely twice when he still didn't listen i just told him that i would be writing a report to the association and the next time his daughter would not even be considered for the team event because of how he behaves and and that that stuff and that stopped him from saying anything again 
so i think communication is very essential but the coach doesn't want to be told how to do her or his job and the parent doesn't want to be told how to do their job right. so as long as you're staying within your boundaries um you want to complement each other you don't want to uh, be doing the same thing right that that's what's important but both roles are absolutely essential and a coach on court is the second parent of the child because you're the first point of contact whether it's with the mental trainer whether it's with um, the physio you are the first point the coach is the first point of contact with the child the child is first going to come especially teenagers they i mean they will listen to anybody except their parents right so if the coach is who they are closest to which is usually the case that's who they are going to listen to so communication has to happen because how else are the parents going to stay in touch with their child right okay um another question about coaching yeah how do you manage your reputation hmm and a player who is not doing well for example um you probably have a you know a player who takes a lot of private training from you or this uh, is in your academy or coach is you know trains under you and but he he or she is not following everything that you told them to uh, told them to do so they're not probably following their fitness routine well or they're not eating properly or their mental training and then yeah. you see that the results you know you can see the results affecting them i mean they they losing a lot of matches what do you do then like because you know that your reputation is also on the line in this case uh so i've never thought about my reputation to be honest that's not in my control i do not care and i do not care to control the thoughts of the millions of people who may be watching me what i do care about is um uh, what my player thinks of me and what i think of my player uh we're in a, we're in, we're a team together right so the only thing that matters in the situation is how the player can improve it's very important to so i won't say uh that he he or she is not following everything i'm doing even if they're following everything and it's not working out they're not winning we need to make changes if if there is something that i'm asking them to do and they're not doing for sure i will talk to them about following that if they're not if what they following everything and it's still not working we need to sit together and make a different plan you there's no point of worrying about what people will think or worrying about losing you just you've just learned another way that doesn't work that's it um when you speak about the player not listening to you i think what is very essential to start off at a very young age is uh, mental training of course but a big part of mental training is goal setting uh i'm a huge believer in setting goals both short and long term uh i feel very often long term goals uh tend to pressurize a player more you know sometimes having that long term goal in your mind pressurize you feel more uh, more pressure that should i'm so far away still how am i going to do it and you know there's like just an added pressure you have your own expectations your parents expectations plus there's this goal looming in the background today what 
can I do today? What can I do well today? And write it in a book, tick mark at the end of your session. Did I do this? Did I do this? So that you are accountable for yourself and you are accountable to your coach. Um, and at the end of the week or at the end of the month or two months or three months, you look through that notebook. How much have you followed it? How has that affected your results? If a player keeps that goal in sight, they are going to do these things. They are going to listen to you. If they trust you, they are going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. If it's still not working out, you devise a new plan. Okay. But don't, you can't take losses personally. You can't worry about what people think. And honestly, are they even, do they even have time to think about you? I mean, I don't think people spend like five, six hours of their day thinking, oh my God, this player loss, that means this is a bad coach. I don't think they do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Okay. So, they're uh, too worried thinking about, uh, they're probably too worried thinking about their own player who's losing and what others are thinking about them. So they're not really concerned about you. Right. So yeah. uh, how do you, how is it with your students? Is it, do you treat them as friends and as an older sister, younger sister or, uh, <laughs> or uh, how is it? Are, are you like really harsh with them? Do you find a balance? Right. How do you go about it? I'd say balance. And I'd also say it depends on the player. Um, so with older players, I'm obviously more of a friend. We have, uh, it's more of a conversation than an instruction. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of give and take, a lot of it. And there's so much that I learn also from them, you know, as they uh, get better with their, um, and with their, they progress in their matches, and their rankings and stuff. There's more that I learn also. Um, with the younger players, um, so I don't believe in treating um, female and male athletes differently uh, or female and male coaches differently, but I do believe in changing my communication so that they feel the same, you know, so that they feel equal. So with, with the girls, with younger girls, teenage girls, um, having been one myself at some point, uh, I know what they need. I know what I needed at that, at that age, right? I know the kind of reassurance I need. Again, there's so much to do with family background and home life, personal life. There's a lot to do with that. Um, so I'm a little more open to listening with them uh, and making them know that I'm open to listening. With the guys, even though I'm listening, I'm not really you know, expressing it as much. But with the girls, I express a lot more about how I am there for them, about how, because I think that's what they need. And um, also, I'd like to know what's happening in their lives, because not that I'm going to stop them from doing anything. That's only going to make them want to do it more. But at least I can make it very clear to them about how this is helping or not helping. So again, goal setting comes into the picture with teenagers, especially. I'm a huge believer in that, because... You can then ask yourself, this action that I'm going to take right now, is it in alignment with that goal? Is it going to help me get closer to that goal? And that keeps them more disciplined, more committed, more, um, you know, motivated to do the right things. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, I am open because I want to know what's happening in their lives. Uh, even if I can't stop them from doing it, I can at least advise them better. With the guys, um, Oh, I'm also, I'm extremely strict about discipline. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, punctuality, responsibility, I'm extremely strict about these things and I don't, um, 
I don't give chances. Okay. You're five minutes late. You're going to be punished. You know that. You're chatting on court. You're giggling. You are going to be punished. You know that. That's another way I I used to add pressure. Right. Um, to you know keep things intense in a practice session, even in a warm up. You miss in the first ten balls. It doesn't matter who misses. Everybody is doing burpees. Add pressure. Keep it intense. Wonderful. So yeah. So with but with the guys, I'm a little I'm a little more strict because um, I think given my personality, I need to. Um, I I feel with the younger teenage guys, I need to put that across, um, and I need them to know that they can't take me for granted. So I am much more strict with the guys at of that age. Old, older when when they get older, the players I'm a lot more. Uh, it's it, you can't really change personalities at that time. You can't mold personalities, but you can give them what they need. So then I'm more of it's it's more of conversation rather than do this do that. Uh, another thing I like to do is. Um, explain to them why i'm asking them to do a certain thing when i played i i i had i didn't like just doing something without knowing why i'm doing it so i feel that that's helpful uh, when it comes to following instructions that's helpful when you know why you're doing it one you'll do it and two nobody can fool you nobody can you know uh, you know exactly what works for you and what doesn't okay, okay. so um about the instructions uh, part of it about the why um, yeah yeah share your uh, thoughts on players uh, analyzing their uh, pros games on youtube should it be done analyzing players professional players games on youtube should it be done and if they tell you you know uh, this player hits a specific shot the other way and uh, should players be analyzing uh others you know professional players games on youtube and other platforms if they should be what uh, what should they look at 100% they should be because they're putting their thinking caps on okay uh if they yeah if they're analyzing something and they're making a habit of it it's going to come on naturally in a pressure situation so you're in the middle of a match you need to change your tactic something isn't working there's a lot of pressure but you're used to thinking you're used to analyzing and you're going to be able to figure it out even under pressure so it's very important that they do it um the technical part technical um why not i mean i wouldn't ever like to tell somebody you know not to do something but okay. don't follow it blindly talk to an expert mm -hmm. share your thoughts 100% think 100% analyze okay. um yeah so you mean he serves like this should i also serve like right. that right? right yeah so it i believe in trial and error try it out for yourself mm -hmm. see if it works we'll try it for a few days in practice and if obviously there's something totally wrong i am going to tell them not to do it and explain to them why not also mm -hmm. um teenagers are rebellious they're going to try it anyway yeah. so yeah in some way you have to you have to allow them to make their own mistakes and learn from them right yeah so yeah i mean there should be basically there should be a constant you know amount of, there should be a level of transparency so that you always know what's going on with them. 
yeah hundred percent and the last thing I want to do is make them dependent on me okay. you know I don't want to teach them what to think but I just need to teach them to think and if they're doing it that's great right so yeah. um, I don't want to create a man versus woman debate but do you think oh but you're going to <laughs> yeah. so do you think women coaches have something different offer something different that you know male coaches don't um empathy so i don't want to generalize i'm not saying all women coaches bring the empathy and all men coaches don't bring the empathy mm-hmm. but um to a large extent right yeah we are more um we are more empathizing which is a very very important uh, aspect of coaching mm-hmm. uh to understand and not just not just know but actually understand and uh, that's that's something that we do bring mm-hmm. we yeah i think that would be the only difference there's nothing else really that a female coach can bring that a male coach can't Okay. When it comes to male coach, female coach, I think a male coach brings strength and power that we don't. But is that really essential for a coach? Right. That- hey guys, this podcast is powered by Flow. Flow is a revolutionary app that helps athletes meditate and visualize their game to improve their technique and results. Visualization has been the key to hundreds of successful champions like Michael Phelps. Roger Federer and Kobe Bryant. The app will be available soon on the Apple App Store as well as the Google Play Store. Further details are available on the show notes. Cheers. That's the question. How important is it for coaching? Yeah. Do since uh, I mean there are not many women coaches. Uh, and again, I'm not. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't. I was only like generalizing a little right. bit. Not all male coaches. I'm sure I'm yeah. stronger than some of them. Right. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> this part in a bit. Uh, so, so. Oh no! I lost track of the question. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll have to edit this part out. What did I ask? <laughs> Oh no, it was such a good question. Oh damn. Okay, I spoke about I spoke about uh male of uh, empathy and then strength and power. Oh god. Okay. Huh? So, um <laughs> What is the perception of women coaches like since there are not many in the sport in India? Hmm. Do they perceive you in a different way to parents? perceive you in a different way in a different way and is that an issue is that or is it you know how is it going right now so absolutely they perceive you differently uh i've traveled to a men's tournament with one of my players and i've had parents of players ask me are you his sister mm-hmm. are you his friend and i'm like no i'm his coach mm-hmm. and uh, i've seen the shock on their faces i maybe they're just not used to it right. but it's definitely a different perception with the juniors of course i've um, traveled quite a bit so now people know me more but even initially um well i have that disadvantage or advantage of not looking my age mm-hmm. so 
<laughs> there's a lot of under 16 tournaments that i've gone to where people have asked me what happened to my match yeah. but uh, <laughs> but yeah so it's um you aren't you definitely i have not been taken seriously till they have seen my work mm-hmm. and uh, you know once once you're on court or uh, watching your play coaching your play then you let your work do the talking nobody has doubted me after that but initially just just visually mm-hmm. uh, there have been a lot of um, doubts whether i even am a coach and secondly about how good a coach i could be right uh, because we're perceived because there's this whole thing of okay a female coach is only useful for traveling with a female player mm-hmm. that's by and large the perception um which is something i've uh, made use of by the way but um, that that is by and large the perception so there's a lot that um i mean if there was a male coach with the kind of credentials that i have he would be enough i mean he would be far better known than i am and he would be far more respected than i am mm-hmm. the with the exact same credentials whether as a player or as a coach mm-hmm. uh, a male coach in my position would be far more respected far more known and far more sought after mm-hmm. so there is definitely a difference but having said that i don't like to see it as um, i don't like to see it as a, a problem or an issue it's an opportunity for me to grow okay so i need to prove myself and to be to be seen as better than coaches who aren't even as good as me maybe yeah. i need to do a lot more than they do i need to be uh knowledgeable about not just tennis but fitness nutrition psychology i need to bring a lot more to the table than they do mm-hmm. and i'm happy about that i'm happy that i am being driven to do that i'm happy that because of that i am a better coach right so i don't see it as an issue although i would love for the perception to change that is one of my personal goals to to change that perception to be part of that movement that changes perception of female coaches mm-hmm. wonderful so um you've been into let's change topics a bit let's change it to fitness so you've been into yay <laughs> last 4 5 years 5 6 yeah so tell us about that like when did you really you know get into uh when you really put some a good amount of focus into fitness and that journey i put a good amount of focus into fitness right from the age of 8 okay. uh i was never one of those players and i mean you've met a lot of players who love the tennis part but not so much the fitness uh were you one of them no <laughs> okay so i wasn't either i love both i was equally passionate about both i was equally excited about both except endurance days those were the bane of my existence but um, other than that i've always loved fitness um like i said i got into uh, training kids before i got into coaching them and uh, that's when i i, I learned a lot from uh, ninath pathak who i was working with at the time and um, that's when it really started for me uh, like i said it was also i needed to do it to supplement my coaching because i needed to bring something extra to the table mm-hmm. as a female coach yeah. um 
and just to be a better coach having this understanding of uh, human anatomy uh, makes me a better coach technically also and um, luckily i enjoy it i love reading i love learning about the body because i think we're just amazing the way everything just works mm. and um, you know you don't even we don't even realize how amazing our bodies are and i don't know why we don't celebrate them more often when they're doing so much for us without us even having to think about it yeah. and i love studying about that um so there was always that interest uh a year ago i started working with uh, well i didn't start working with him then but i started working out with um, a friend of mine mayank dev he is an olympic weightlifting powerlifting coach and uh, i've learned a lot from him as well and now we work together for the academy for the strength and conditioning so uh i initially started working out with him for for my back issue and i kind of wish that he was a little older and he had trained me when i was um you know playing because he's just sorted my back out like nobody else has been able to i'm almost completely fine now after i don't know how many years of having that issue mm-hmm. uh i also wish sometimes that i was a little older because he's a he's a super bachelor and i think i could have made him a damn good tennis player mm-hmm. but <laughs> other than that i've just learned a lot and um, i've got even more into uh, strength and conditioning because of him both as a coach and as an athlete because i've sort of um, i'm i've sort of i'm going to start competing in powerlifting wow. so yeah so that's been a change for me and when we speak about the competing we we spoke about competing versus coaching yeah. um taking part in that powerlifting competition actually gave me this rush that i'd been craving since i stopped playing you know just getting getting out there feeling that adrenaline and feeling yeah. that pressure and mm-hmm. you know performing better because of it right. so that's something i really miss and i'm really excited to have got into lifting now right so um fitness uh do players still put a lot more focus on um, tennis on improving the tennis than on fitness are the uh, are, are trends changing uh trends are changing because there's more awareness now mm-hmm. uh but the awareness is not it's not complete the awareness is just that fitness is important but the awareness is not on what aspects of fitness are important you see players doing a lot more endurance work and uh, speed work but you don't see as much strength training happening as as needs to happen because that i think is the biggest part of injury prevention and i always uh, tell any parents with young kids make them athletes before you make them tennis players or football players or basketball players make them athletes first because that's going to take them a very long way in their careers without getting injured right so uh, yeah. when you th- when you talk about kids so when they probably 6 or 7 should they be focusing on tennis specific or the sport specific fitness or um, should it just be general fitness so what what do you suggest uh, at the age of 6 and 7 the kid should just be outdoors okay. he should be 
yeah he should be playing as many sports as he can or she can he should be he should be having fun with whatever he's doing because you don't want him focusing on one sport or focusing on one aspect of fitness and getting burned out or bored by the age of 9 or 10 uh, you want them to be having fun mm-hmm. you should start uh, when i say general fitness and strength training you can start as age as, as young as um 8 or 9 also uh, there is not a single research paper in the world which says that the height won't grow if you start weight training or you know there are i mean countries like china and the uh, us they have so many olympic medals because they start their uh, kids at 6 and 7 they they they're lifting weights at 6 and 7 and there are research papers that prove it's helpful what's important here is the supervision if the kid if it also depends a lot on your bond with the kid if your if that kid listens to you if the kid trusts you if the kid has a certain level of coordination and um, is okay with body weight exercises then you can start weight training as young as 6 and 7 and 8 if they don't listen 100% don't not worth the risk with weights you have to be very very careful there has to be supervision under a proper strength and conditioning coach not a gym trainer or a fitness trainer it has to be a strength coach and it has to be very careful supervision and the player has to listen to the coach mm-hmm. uh, but for just generally play as many sports as you can do as many different types of fitness as you can just make sure it's safe mm-hmm. all right so um there's this concept uh, you know that um conception right that's the word there's this concept yeah and we wish for long time okay uh, that europeans and you know americans are much stronger much fitter than indians yeah so um is that purely due to genetics or is it because of the thing you said about the strength training and Oh, at an earlier, at an early age. Uh, well, one we've been we've been ruled by the British for two hundred years. We've been starved, and we haven't grown like we should have. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it's it's been passed down generations, and it's definitely in our genetic makeup to not be as strong as them. But that can be. Um, we basically we need to work a lot harder. to attain the kind of so not that we can't attain the strength they have just now that we need to work a little harder for it mm-hmm. um also the the kind of uh, lifestyle lifestyle plays a very big role uh europeans you see them out on their cycles you see them you know the entire family gets together on weekends go cycling goes out goes for a jog how many indians do you see doing that right you know right. it's it's a it's a very different lifestyle we're a lot more sedentary than they are i feel which plays at a young age so that makes a difference right so that, that that's yeah. also one of the reasons why um, in in tennis players they peak at a, at an older age that's one uh, but other than that um i feel it's a lot to do with like when we mention lifestyle it's right. not just physical it's also mental uh we're a lot more dependent on each other than europeans and uh, you know i've seen 
kids in europe who fall and their parents are not bothered the kid cries gets up he's okay mm-hmm. he's fine do you see that happening in india kid cries mom goes running right. oh my god what happened to you this that you know so that there are pros and cons of course we feel more loved but we also need more right. you know we feel um, like this dependence we feel and there's there's more attachment there's more um you're not always deciding for yourself mm-hmm. which on a tennis court you're all alone you don't have somebody next to you except in doubles mm-hmm. but otherwise you can't you can't talk to anybody you can't you have to make your own decisions you can't depend on anyone you win you lose it's all your responsibility so to to get out of that mindset of being dependent takes a while you have to unlearn a whole habit right so that takes time and you see a lot of players who's i mean even on the men circuit women circuit moms are still traveling with them right if that's not dependence what is it right and it's also um, where the parents also feel like they need to have a certain control you know till their kids are married mm-hmm. right what the hell <laughs> so <laughs> not to be judgmental but what the hell <laughs> so i think that that uh, shows on court it's it's both the genetic and i mean the physical and the mental right. this is my opinion of course thank you um okay so moving on Th- this is going to be a set of random questions there's there's no hmm. talk to it um okay. how do we increase uh, on your uh, in your opinion how do we increase the participation of women in sports like what, uh, is- yeah yeah so if you if you actually look at uh, in the last decade mm-hmm. participation has increased to a large extent we've got uh, well role models is like one of the biggest um, you know uh, motivators mm-hmm. and we've got we've got like in where across various sports there's uh, hima das pv sindhu saina nehwal sanya mirza uh, mithila raj there's so many women sports uh, i mean athletes doing doing well on a on a world level mm-hmm. which is increasing participation but at the same time we need it it needs to be a mindset change in society you know it needs to be a mindset change they need to feel more encouraged we need uh, i also feel we need more funding at a grassroots level uh not i mean from a grassroots level we need more tournaments more um, in or across all sports which encourage um, you know girls also you have you, you you heard of so many football matches for boys right. how much do you hear of football matches for girls right. even at school you know at a school level there's distinction the girls will play hockey the boys will play football right. so you know if if we as a society stop doing that there will be more encouragement mm-hmm. allow the girls to play what they want to have teams have tournaments um at a slightly later stage probably uh, a little more funding uh there's still this uh, there's a reservation because um you feel you're not going to make enough money you feel you're not going to have job security if you play and then that doesn't work out so maybe we need a little more security for these athletes especially the ones doing well mm-hmm. all right i think that will that will encourage um, and we need people who will just again like i said with the female coaching thing we can't wait for that freedom 
you have to set yourself free you have to take steps right. you can't you know if you're good believe in yourself do it for yourself don't wait for somebody to do it for you don't look at it as an issue look at it as an opportunity to grow right mm-hmm. okay um next question yes do you have any hacks to get for athletes to get sponsored are there uh, or do you should you always be you know that you know at the top like the first two three spots in the ranking why i ask i think this? yeah tennis is a rich sport a rich man sport yeah 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 the ones who are in the top 1 2 if you see indian rankings i'm not talking about the states yeah these the ones who already have a lot of money yeah. i i mean i don't think i can find a single player who compared to the others who doesn't have the funding and at the top yeah no funding is absolutely necessary because you have to play the tournaments if you want to build your ranking um uh, the only way so of course if you know people it's a little easier it doesn't have to be a mainstream sponsor it can just be people who have the money who are willing to help you out there's a lot of goodwill or uh, you know things like that but the only way to get that sponsor is by asking there's no there's no hack for it uh, get in touch with people who who might know people uh but ask ask everywhere you can and for as much as you can without feeling any shame because this is something that is going to take you ahead and that's something you need to do so you just just ask as many people as you can get them try to get them in touch with get you in touch with people who can help you right. it's the there's that joke no the four p's of marketing please 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 <laughs> so <laughs> you you have to ask mm-hmm. right okay um yeah follow up question to this uh we hmm. see a lot of uh, people doing you know building their i mean it it does work in other areas they're per- building their personal brand in social media it does work in other areas but when it comes yeah. to tennis and you know hmm. Hmm. focus is really important which we're going to talk about later in another episode probably um okay do you think they should be building their personal brand to social media or should they just be focused on tennis because are you talking about the are you talking about players or players players because yeah can they have opportunities to get some amount of uh you know influencer money or whatever from brand yeah 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 but over there though it's like a double edged knife or sword whatever sword sword yeah you need to compromise your um, focus uh so that's the question you need to ask yourself are you compromising your focus are you letting that app take control of you or are you in control of that app i think as long as you're in control which will happen if you've been training your mind from a young age if you've been um, you know all these things that we speak about mental training physical training all needs to start very young because that that's it's it's essential now you have to start it young so social media i'm guessing you will uh, it will come into the picture only well teenage or later mm-hmm. so if you are if you if your goal is clear 
if you know if you're disciplined about how much time you want to spend on it if you are in control of that why not it's a great way to make money right yeah. and who's to say don't do this or do this unless you try it for yourself right. if if you know your priorities if you know your goals and if you are in control of your mind which you have to be to be a good player right. then why not all right what take us through the path to reach the top 20 in india as a women's player or a men's player or juniors tell us the path how many tournaments so yeah so if you are really young uh, if you're talking about juniors if you're under 14 or 15 i wouldn't advise more than 12 13 tournaments a year because you're still building yeah you're still building uh, dimensions of your game you're building maybe you can't slice yet or you're not great at volleys so you're still building these things um at a junior level i would focus more on playing tournaments for experience and for trying out things that you're working on in practice without really worrying about the results after 15 16 uh is when you would and your your training would continue during the tournament i think you get yourself used to that you know a lot of players uh, take it easy during a tournament so that they're not tired but even though you might lose a few matches initially because you're tired it'll take you a long way later because then your training doesn't stop you know it because later it gets difficult when you're on the road for 3 4 weeks the first thing you lose is your strength and that's dangerous so if you get into the habit of continuing your training through a through a tournament that's going to take you a long way later mm-hmm. um after 14 15 16 is when you would uh, start focusing more on putting those things together and that's when they start coming together so um then you would focus more on the winning part and you'd plan your tournaments a little more wisely a little more conducive to uh to when you peak you can start figuring out by then also maybe you peak in the second week maybe you peak in the third week so how do you want to plan your tournaments do you want to keep your nationals as the second tournament you played do you want it to be the first tournament do you want it to be the third uh your coach can help you with that uh and it doesn't it, you, you don't realize all this with two or three tournaments it's a pattern that you observe over the years um you start with i mean we have different levels of tournaments on the national circuit we have talent series then championship series super series national series and then the nationals so you start with a mix of you, you obviously start with your talent and championship series um as you win a few more matches you would add a mix of super series and maybe your national series and then as your ranking improves you will play a mix of super national series and nationals because i think there's now even an aita rule where if you're a certain ranking you can't um you can't play a lower a lower uh, tournament yes. so which i think is a brilliant rule because you see so many top players who just play all the tournaments throughout the year and that's why they're highly ranked yes. but uh, i think this is a good way of minimizing that and making you really challenge yourself in the tournaments of your ranking level so that's how you you would go about it when it comes to improving your ranking 
the only way to do that is by playing more tournaments and by winning better winning more that's the only way to improve your ranking so that's how you would go about it in the men's women's it would be prize money you know there's a mix of your 1 lakhs there's a mix of um 50k is 1 lakhs 2 lakhs 4.5 your nationals so you would uh, you need you need a even at a higher level you need a mix of both lower and higher because there are some matches you play for experience there are some matches you play for confidence there are some matches you play you know this is something i want to win so you need a mix of all of them and that's that's how you would plan out you also uh you there's there's a concept of periodization which a coach would do for you where you plan your training your tournament your recovery your training again that's how we plan it right so it must yeah. be a bit you know tough for you guys considering people have to constantly you know take offs during exam seasons and their internals their tests and stuff like that right so do you yeah yeah Do you sorry? You put that into consideration as well. Absolutely, you have to. You work around your place schedule, whether it's school, whether it's exams, whether it's uh, what tournaments he wants, he or she wants to play. You plan around that. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Given a choice in your in the teenage uh, years, hmm. you can only choose two things. um hmm. along with tennis you can hmm. either extra private sessions fitness se- uh, fitness training or mental training what are the i can choose two you can choose two so, mental and fitness okay 100% 100% and if it was just one uh it would depend on the kind of well for me personally i would choose physical because then i had the uh the, the i mean the fitness but it would have to be somebody who knew my body who knew the imbalances and could work on those uh yeah but the mental is equally important mm-hmm. so if i was if i was another player i might choose mental or if i was in another stage of my life i would i would choose mental probably right but i would pick one of those two for sure all right and i don't say extra fitness or extra mental but just uh, i'm just giving importance to these two right in terms of how, what works best in my experience mm-hmm. last part post hmm. post sport. sorry post tennis post sport yeah career what are the options right now uh well, there's a bunch of things you can obviously get into coaching mm-hmm. if you like mm-hmm. um which i think most players do pick right because that comes easiest right. uh again what motivates them is different because maybe they're in it for the money maybe they're in it for something else you don't know Yeah. uh there is sports management there is um you can do um communications this you know there's journalism there's writing there's so much because if you know the sport and you're you've been associated it for so many years 
that's something you can get into or uh, recruitment of athletes you know colleges you see a lot of people doing that now which maybe comes under management a little bit um so yeah there there's yeah there's a lot of options i don't think it ever uh, it ever really ends you can actually choose something that's not related to tennis at all or sport for that matter right there's you know which is where maybe your education comes into the picture or just something uh we have a player who i mean you know him but i'm not going to take names he's an engineer and he's a he's he's one of our top players and he's he's able to do both right so it it doesn't have to be connected to your sport but even connected to your sport you can even get into sports psychology nutrition there's fitness there's coaching there's there's just so many things in today's world that you can do to make money yeah wonderful namit and just having tennis yeah just having just having tennis uh, having this tennis background also i think gets you in touch with a lot of people who can help you out uh it's a useful it's a useful way to uh, not just make contacts but also maintain them you know you get out have a game of tennis with your boss you can you meet five other people right it's yeah it's always good to have been in a sport for so long mm-hmm. yeah so networking is is big yeah no you mean yeah absolutely so much you meet so many people you have to the different that you don't yeah and it's not just who you meet the the people you meet through them or the people you meet through them right. and it's you know that that's networking right yeah well namita it's been an honor <laughs> honor has been mine <laughs> so much for providing so much value to me the audience and parents athletes everyone thanks a lot thank you thank you for having me thanks so much tell us tell the audience where people can find you instagram your email where can they find you so so my instagram handle is namita bal n a m i t a b a l so you can find me there my email id is namita nbal at gmail.com so you can get in touch with me on either of these platforms and you can any questions you have or any doubts or anything you want to talk about mm-hmm. uh you're always welcome wonderful and uh, you also have your uh, academy your where, i mean where you coach your players your fitness uh where is that exactly right. that's the nandanbal tennis academy at ferguson college in pune mm-hmm. so if anybody is looking to start playing that's a great place <laughs> right and i'll coach you which is even better <laughs> All right. Hope to have you here with us for future episodes. We can, you know. Yes, absolutely. Other topics that. Uh, yes. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you, Namita. Take care. Okay. Thanks.